Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 37, recorded January 29th, 2013, A Good Man. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Fellowship, please visit malcolmsmith.org or check out the new ministry website at unconditionallovefellowship.com. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Networks and WebVision Graphics, providing quality, affordable websites and website hosting to your small business, church, ministry, or nonprofit organization. Get your free quote today by visiting www.webvisiongraphics.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to continue... um, I suppose it would be true to say what I'm trying to do is to show us how this Christian life is lived. For there are so many believers who are very sincere. They genuinely believe. But in their sincerity, there is an ignorance of how this Christian life is lived. And I find maybe the best way of doing that many times is to look at characters in the Bible. And that's what we're doing uh, here. We started the last time we were together. So again, let me have you turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. And you may remember that uh, Barnabas uh, and his name if you remember, is actually his nickname. His real name was Joseph, but they nicknamed him Barnabas, which is a Hebrew um, word or words. Bar means son of, neighbors of encouragement. And, And so they named him, and his nickname became the name by which he was known. They, they named him by that which flowed out of him. The love of God flowed out of him to such a degree they nicknamed him by that which God wrought through him. And that's how he became known, encourager. Now I want to look further. He was sent off in verse 23. Um, He was sent off to Antioch, where there was trouble brewing because there had been Gentiles or outsiders, non-Jews, who had come to receive Jesus and had not become Jews. And at that point in the history of the church, they couldn't understand that. And so they sent Barnabas, the encourager, off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Now, he did this, it says in verse 24. Hear me carefully here. He witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced. He encouraged them. Why, Why would he do that? What is the driving force of this man's life? Verse 24, for or because... He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And that first phrase of verse 24 is so important. He was a good man. And of course, let me not um, offend anybody. He was a good man and there's many who listen to me who are good women too. Um, This is speaking of a human being exactly like us, and this human being is described as a good man, and that goodness that he enjoyed and radiated was apparently the driving power behind his encouraging of people, behind his ability to see the grace of God and to rejoice in that. Now, uh, the word good, he was a good man. Uh, Bear with me when I say that the word good or goodness in today's world 
is almost meaningless. What, what do people mean when they say good? I, I mean, uh, if you live in a halfway decent neighborhood, uh, the, somebody is going to say to you at least once in the day and maybe many times in the day, have a good day. And what do they mean by that? Uh, have a good day. I suppose it means have a day that's right up your alley. Have a day that just makes you feel good. Here we go again. Um, yeah, when I come to the scripture, it is a word that is brimming with meaning. In fact, it's on par with that sentence that we're forever quoting on this broadcast, God is love. And on par with that, alongside of that, Jesus said there is no one good but God. And so, hold it, the way we use good in its most shallow and meaningless and undefined way in the scripture it is telling me that good, goodness, is a way of looking at the very heart of God. There is no one good, said Jesus, except God. And I say it, it fits right in with God is love, for in effect, they, they are all in the same bundle. You could say that good is the great big umbrella word, and love is what describes what is under that umbrella. The two words go together. Now, that, that, that introduces something quite shocking, because if no one is good except God, we have here the report that there was a man, a very ordinary businessman, as we saw last time, and he's described as good. So that, that causes me to stop. I've got to find out here how the scripture can describe a very regular, ordinary human being as good, when good is a description of the very heart of God. You get it? So what does good mean in the Bible? It's, it's one of those big words that I need a few words to really say what it means. Good. Hear me carefully. When you read the word good in the Bible, what does it mean? It means beautiful. It, 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 in your older English versions, it might say, especially in the Old Testament, that someone was of a goodly countenance, meaning that they were beautiful or handsome. But especially beauty is the, the word I'm looking for here, beautiful. Um, beauty is not on the skin. Beauty is not the shape of your body. You, you can pump your face full of Botox and still, I'm sorry, beauty doesn't come through because beauty is a thing of the spirit. Hear me carefully. Beauty is not a thing of the skin or the shape. Uh, beauty is a thing of spirit. And, and uh, unless goodness is within, uh, the, the beauty that goodness defines radiates through, and that's true beauty. And along with beautiful, the word means lovely. Okay, it's, it's the word that uh, means cheerful and pleasant. This uh, good person is easy to be around because they genuinely open themselves up to accept and receive. And, and so they come upon life and upon persons with cheerfulness and pleasantness and receptiveness. Interestingly, in the scripture, the word good could also be translated health. Goodness is the health, the well-being, the abundance of life of my inner person, my, my spirit. 
but it's also the health of my mind. A good person is a healthy person mentally and emotionally. And it's a word used to describe physical health. In fact, when they summed up the entire life of Jesus in one sentence, in Acts chapter 10, I think verse 38, where where it says that Jesus, uh, anointed by God, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So this goodness which is found in origin solely in God, was displayed in the life of Jesus, which included healing of the physically sick and those oppressed of Satan. And and this word good could also include in its meaning joy and gladness. It's a word used for festivity and celebration and dancing and singing and laughter. Uh, Don't forget what I've said, that this word is used in Scripture to describe the heart of God. (laughs) That, uh, That could rock some people's boat to think uh, of God. Well, I think we can accept he's beautiful, he is lovely, but to think of God as the fullness of health and life and to think of him as the very source and the definition of joy and gladness and festivity and laughter. Hmm, some people have a terrible image of God. But this word may be at its heart, and it includes all these other words I've used. This may be is the, the real heart of the word is generous or generosity. It is that inner disposition. It's that inner will to freely give, freely give to another without any thought or suggestion of getting a return. It is a free, open-handed giving. And that giving is always based on the goodness of the giver. It's never based on the deserving of the receiver. Now, again, I say, remember, we're talking about goodness and goodness being finding source and origin in God. And so this God that you and I have discovered in the face of Jesus Christ, he is, not merely has, as something he has, he is that total being of free giving. That's who he is. And never giving with the tag on it to say that if you accept this, you've got to give back to me this, that, and the other. No thought of return. Just giving because that's who he is. God, by his nature, is giving. And never does he give because we deserve. He gives because that's the way he is. He's goodness. That's this word, good. So this heart of giving and giving with cheerfulness, giving actually with joy, gladness and laughter, giving with festivity, for there's joy in heaven, a raving party among the angels as God gives and gives. Or as Jesus described him as the father that did not merely give the status uh, of being an accepted son to the prodigal, but he said, let us eat, be merry, kill the fatted calf. It had to be attended by festivity, and that is what upset the elder brother. And the father said, you remember, it is necessary that we rejoice and be glad. That's God. That's the God I worship. It's the God I know many of you worship. The God who is love. The God who is good. 
ever giving. Maybe we can understand what the word means by its opposite. Sometimes you can see something when you see what opposite. The opposite of goodness is that grudging giving, giving only what is deserved, what has been earned and not a penny more, and I begrudge doing it. That's the opposite of this. The opposite of goodness is mean. You, you know the, the, the look on a person's face and your back away. They're, they're mean people and you know they'll never be open and receptive and accepting. Uh, and, and in all their life, whatever they touch, they're tight-fisted. They're ungenerous. No, our God is good. There's that song or words that are sung. Oh, God is good. God is good. And I've been in Africa hearing thousands of people sing that by the hour. God is good. And every time they sing it, it, it something rises within. Yes, he's good. That's who God is. But now, this word that Isaiah I've tried to say applies specifically to God but it's saying this of a human Barnabas it said was a good man that's why he had this attitude to life he saw the grace of God he could rejoice in seeing it and he was a man who could immediately encourage people even though these people were uh, highly suspected back in Jerusalem. No, not, not Barnabas. He, he was a good man. What is How can a human be good? Goodness in us arises directly from the fact that Jesus Christ came in order to take our self-for-self selves, which is that fake, phony, corrupted, rotten self, it's not the real self, the self that sprang into being from the lie believed in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus took that, and he carried you and I into our death. He died our death and in so doing put to death our phony wannabe selves, the ungood. And embracing us, he carried us out from that death that came with the fake and phony self. And he poured into us the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit actualizes in us works and wills to do all that Jesus has accomplished. And that results, says the scripture, in good works. Now, hear me. I think you know me well enough to know what I'm going to say. We, We are not accepted by good works but rather because we are accepted by God freely through his goodness and generosity in Jesus. Because of that, out from that flow, good works. We we are not saved. We are not accepted by our performance of works. We are saved solely by the generosity of God. But that, and I'll say, must result in behavior that begins in my mind, into my feelings and emotions and actions, good work. So that the scripture says the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is goodness. The Holy Spirit comes within us. God, the Holy Spirit, and produces in us the goodness that was first found among humans in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
what Jesus did is to bring about our rebirth. In his resurrection, we were reborn. And the Holy Spirit actualizes that within us. So, with the Holy Spirit within us, reproducing in us the very life of Jesus, what what does that look like? This goodness that comes to us from the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit now dwelling within us. What does it look like? It looks a generous spirit that with joy freely gives of self to others. The phony self is a self for myself. That was crucified with Christ. My true self in Christ being made to function through the Spirit is a self for others. That's another way of saying God love freely give self to others with no thought of return, delighting to give in grace, even as received by grace. That is, this person that we're talking about is good because they've received God's goodness. They give grace because they know they are continually receiving grace. They are lovers because they are loved. I could keep going, but you get the picture. So, a good person, in the biblical sense, is a person who knows God. They know that God is good. And now, by faith in that goodness of God sees, you know, with inside eyes, you see God's goodness at work in others. You know what I mean? Um, if, If you think that God is the ultimate judge and condemner, it is, I, I could tell you you believe that after I've been with you for about an hour or so. Because if you see God as the judge condemner, you will be judging and condemning everybody around you and everything that has happened. Because that's how you see life, is how you see God. Whereas this person has drunk deeply of the goodness of God, They are described in Psalm 34 as taste, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Well, they have, and they know that God is good. They know that he only acts in the generosity of his heart. And so they believe it's it's a matter, it's a faith matter, but when you meet people, whatever they look like or whatever they're doing, you believe that the goodness of God is working in their lives. And when you see evidence of that, you rejoice. That, that's, that's a good person. Good person. This is behind Jesus sitting down with the most unsavory characters. You know, Jesus ate with tax collectors and those that the Pharisees called sinners. Um, they, they were a bad bunch. They, they were very high-class, bad, corrupt, rotten people. They had many parallels that we might find in organized crime today. Um, They they were a network of persons that lived to fleece the people. They were hated, despised, but they had all the power of the Roman government behind them because it was a crookedness that went right up to the government of Rome. And, And... they, they were hated. And Jesus sat down with these hated, hated people. People that had 
yeah, they had taken from Jesus taxes and had added to them to skim off into their own pockets. Tax collectors of that day. Jesus sat with them and told them stories describing not only what God was like, but who they really were. Hear me. He described who the tax collectors really were. He said, you're lost sheep, you're lost coins, you're lost sons. He was saying, it might not look like it, you may not feel like it, but you have an owner, you have a parent, because you cannot be lost unless you have an owner or a parent. And you are precious to that parent. For you'd never call anyone or thing lost unless they were precious to you. And their absence deeply hurt. And he described himself as the one who came where they were in order to take them home to where they really belonged. That makes a great story in the 21st century, doesn't it? But if you're sitting back there in the Gospel of Luke and you're watching that happen, you are saying, Jesus is mad. There was no way they could ever see these people as being the object of the, the goodness of God. But Jesus, who knew the Father as no one else, who represented the Father, exegeted the Father as no other, he could see that these two were the beloved of the Father. The goodness of God was toward them. And, and that's why he did what he did. That's a good person. Barnabas, you see, was of that same kind. Why was he the same kind? Because the very spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was in him, producing the kind of life of the new covenant. You know, it's very interesting. Earlier, we didn't deal with this last time. It happened before this. Saul of Tarsus, do I have to say that he was the most obnoxious Pharisee, righteous in his own eyes, and when he heard the gospel and the implications of the gospel, made it his one passion to obliterate every believer from the face of the earth and to eradicate the name of Jesus from everyone's lips. And so he goes, and the word in the Greek is like a, a bear that's been robbed of her cubs. He's mad, he's raving. And he enters into the house of believers and he beats them and he imprisons them. He, he was the Christian nightmare of the day. And when he had almost crushed at least the public gospel in Jerusalem, he's off to Damascus. And, and you know there he meets with Jesus on the Damascus road. Yeah, that, that makes a great story, especially in the 21st century. But if you were a Christian in those days, and you hear, and mind you, there's no Fox News, there's no Facebook, and there's no tweets, and you know what I mean? You hear a rumor that the arch-persecutor had met with Jesus and has become a Christian. You, you heard that, but I mean, there's no photographs, there's no journalists, there's... You, you hear it by word of mouth. And the first response of the believers in the Jerusalem, Judea area is that, that, that it, it, it's, it's a setup. He, he's pretending to be one of us so he finds out where we are. And, and they didn't want him. The, the church in Jerusalem and the area, they, they, they were suspicious to the max. And Saul of Tarsus, who has met with the ascended Jesus, is under severe suspicion by the church. 
who went and sat beside him, who listened to his story, who saw the grace of God, the goodness of God at work in Saul? It was Barnabas. Amazing. It was Barnabas who took Saul of Tarsus with him down to the apostles and said, look, listen to this man. And the result was they accepted him as a fellow believer. Now, I, I hope you're hearing this. I, I can't think as I'm talking of a modern illustration, this straight out of the Bible illustration. These people that the average believer said, no way, no way. No, we, we, we've got to have more proof. We've got to see something more before we ever believe that God could be working in this person's life. But Barnabas is a good man. And he could see what God saw. He saw God's faith in the work of Jesus now being made manifest in the arch-persecutor of the church. And he went with that, and he sat with that. This, this, you see, is a good man. It's a good man. I say again, goodness is that generous, open-handedness that reaches out to give risk for others. It's, and don't, this isn't only, what shall I say, action. Um, uh, obviously, it all ends up in action sooner or later. But it's, it's a heart matter. So a good man, put it this way, a good man will freely forgive even as the Lord has forgiven him or her. You get it? He's a giver. So he gives forgiveness and gives it in abundance. Kind of ridiculously, really. He forgives. And you'll never find revenge in this person. Never find malice. Never find gossip in his tongue. He's giving. He sees through into the heart of a person where God is at work. And he gives that person the grace received and the goodness received. He gives. Um, and, and of course, a good person is one who gives of their material. That is, their finances. Um, the the, the heart that wills to give to others in need gives freely of their finances in order that others may be blessed. That's a good person. Generous. You see what I'm saying is generosity of heart. It's a generous way of thinking. It's a generous thing in my hand. And so the first time that we met with Barnabas, though we didn't speak much of it at the time, but the first time we met Barnabas, this fairly rich businessman from Cyprus, and he owned a large tract of land, and he sold it and brought the money to the apostles in Jerusalem and said, use it for the extension of what's going on here. That was Barnabas. First time you meet him, he's giving. And speaking of this in 2 Corinthians 9, it it says God loves a cheerful giver. And that word, we've already said, is part of goodness. And in that particular verse, it means cheerfulness to the point of hilarity. That the sheer delight of goodness giving. And in those cases, it's speaking of finances. Yeah, the, um, the, this giving that is part of goodness is, is described in Luke 6. Um, let, let me read this. Well, I go verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. If you lend money to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But, and here it comes, this is the good person. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind, good to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And give, verse 38, give. And that is not only speaking of giving money. It includes that. But it's a, it's a lifestyle of giving, a heart that gives. A good person. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For whatever measure you deal out to others, it will be dealt to you in return. And I say again, that is... It is speaking of money, but it is speaking of the whole lifestyle. For sometimes, as I said the last time about Barnabas, this encourager is a, is a man who will simply be with you. When, when you're going through something where there are no words to, to describe what you're going through and no words that would really comfort you, you need goodness Someone who, out of the sheer goodness, the sheer love of their heart, will be with you. That is, give to you them, their very selves. Just be with you. This, this is Barnabas. You know, when we feel trouble, when we're pressured, we seek out good people. We might not even be aware of what we're doing until today, my explanations here, but we, we find people, and I think as I'm talking, you know somebody, to be with them, you feel accepted. You feel, in fact, wonderfully relaxed in their presence with no fear. You don't have to bring your mask with you because there's no need to hide when you're with this person. He's a good person because, you see, that's exactly how you would act in the presence of the Father that was revealed in Jesus. He accepts you limitlessly. He loves and accepts you. You can relax. It's okay. There is no fear. No fear in love. No torment. And you don't have to pretend to be who you're not. Why? Because God is good. God is good, you see. And so in trouble, we gravitate to a person who is one through whom the Spirit is revealing the goodness of God. You could say that Barnabas was the continuation to Saul of Tarsus of what Jesus began to say on the road to Damascus. See, on the road to Damascus, you have sheer goodness. I mean, that, that character of Saul of Tarsus, as I say, left behind him, a trail of blood, beaten people, imprisoned people, all for the name of Jesus. And this arrogant beast of a man, suddenly confronted with Jesus in his ascended glory. And as I've often said, if you were Jesus, what would you do now? You've got him, this cockroach of a human who has gone through your church like a mad animal. 
But you got him now. He's flat on his face on the road to Damascus. So what are you going to do? Crush him like an insect? I'm going to tell him he'll burn in hell for what he's done. No. <laughs> this is goodness speaking. Oh, be shocked, please. Don't, don't let this just drift through your head. Be shocked. The ascended Jesus said, Saul, Saul. It was how his mother called him to dinner on the streets of Tarsus. Saul, Saul. The, the words are specific in the original text. The, it's the Hebrew. It's, it's speaking to Saul of Tarsus in Hebrew. It would come shayol, shayol. And there's a question, why do you persecute me? There's no mention of judgment. There's, there's no mention of rejection. And then, please, so get, get on your feet. Go into Damascus. I've got a lot of work for you to do. Honestly, I mean it. If, if you are part of much part of the church today you're choking on the bit you, you this man has gotta pay for what he did this this you just can't say Saul Saul why persecute you me get on your feet I've got no this man has gotta repent he's gotta grind in the mud he did goodness said I've been working with you Saul in fact, do you remember Jesus said to him at that time, it's hard for you to kick against the goads when you, you had oxen plowing and they wanted to go off. You, you would have a stick with a pointed end and you would prod them. It's called a goad. And, and Saul of Tarsus kicking with all his might and Jesus has been goading him, has been pushing him gently into truth and into light. Well, Barnabas comes along, and what does he do? He continues that conversation, only now it's the ascended Jesus in Barnabas, saying, come with me, I'll, I'll take you to the apostles. I'll, I'll be the go-between. I will assure them of the goodness of God in your life, because I see it there. Oh, yeah, goodness is the heart of God. That's the way he is. When God became flesh into our humanity, he went about doing good, healing. The goodness of God is the cross and the resurrection where he gave himself totally to us and took us through death, resurrection, and in that resurrection, he produced a company of people. Listen to this. <laughs> it says, talking of Jesus, Titus 2.14, who gave himself, uh, well, that's generosity to the extreme, gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So Jesus died and rose again in order to produce in you a zealous, a zealousness, that would be what? A passion, a burning, blazing, white-hot passion, enthusiasm, excitement for good works, good deeds. Let me put this to you. Do, do you think that he achieved what he set out to do? This is a serious question. Jesus died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit into us in order to produce in us a zealous 
enthusiastic love for doing good. And I say, if that's the reason he died, to do that in you, if that's his resurrection, if that's the giving of the Spirit, did he achieve what he set out to do? Can I say of this verse, it's included in the, it is finished, it's done. Because if that is so, then this is so in you today. You follow me? If Jesus achieved what he set out to do, then this white hot goodness which has within it the urgency to do good and send out good is in you today. He achieved it. You are part of the it is finished. I did it. Then that's where we begin. Or we could say also that there's Ephesians. Let me read from Ephesians in chapter 2. He says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's some neat words there. Workmanship in the original language actually is poet. It's a, it's a word of an artisan. So we would use that word to describe an artist who paints pictures, who sculptors, who certainly writes poems, writes books, an artist. He says, you are God's work of art. You are God's work of art. And you were created. You, you were birthed into this newness of life. And what is this poem that you are all about? What, what is this painting that you are with God's signature on it? What, what's it about? For good works. He, the resurrection where you were recreated, was to produce in you good works. And it says, which God prepared beforehand. And that's a word that was used to describe clearing a road to make it smooth so that when the emperor came, he didn't get a bumpy ride. So Jesus died, it says, rose again in order to make you into God's poem, revealing his goodness and his good works. And he, he's opening up the highway so you can do that with ease. Yes, that's it. That's it. It is so. I'd like you to at least take two or three days just to keep realizing that it is so. The Spirit of God in you is, is the Spirit of good, goodness. Oh, look, I know. Law, legalism which I associate with the word religion sometimes. It, it has two things. One is God is remote, up, beyond. And the second thing, I mean, you'll hear that all the time. And the second thing, which you'll hear even more, is that everything in your life in relation to God is on indefinite hold. It, you know, so well, say so, yeah, I, I I believe this, but I, I I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to pray more. I've got I've got I've got I've got to, and and somewhere down in the future, the Holy Spirit will have achieved in me goodness. Yeah, you got it. Legalist up to the earlobes. It's always down there when you've done something or when something has been added to the finished work of Jesus. Look, in Jesus Christ, 
God has been revealed as immediately present to us to the point where he said, you know that I am in you and you are in me and he and I in him are in the Father. You couldn't get closer to the heart of the Holy Trinity. He's not remote. You're inside of him and he's inside of you. And when he said it is finished, everything he died to accomplish was done and finished. And the Holy Spirit was given into you in order to actualize, to bring it to pass uh, in terms of your life now. So he works in us to will and to do of the Father's good pleasure. It is so. I, I, I say this because I was stuck here in my very early Christian life. The whole Christian life was something I had to strive for. I had to do this to become, walk forward in a gazillion crazy meetings to promise God what I would do and not do and dedicate. And I say, shut up. And just sit down and relax in the goodness of God that says it's finished. And the Holy Spirit within you now is the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit, the very humanity of Jesus in you of goodness. So this that I'm talking about is yours, given to you in Christ. And as I have said so often, we can only ask for what is ours. If that were not so, then prayer becomes an attempt to manipulate God, to make him do something he'd never thought of. Prayer is asking for what he's already given to me. Asking because I want what he gives. We ask for what is ours in Christ that the Holy Spirit may activate, may strengthen us in that, that we be who we are in Christ. You know, so much of who we are in Christ has been stifled, suffocated. When I'm with some believers, sometimes I... I question them concerning especially their early days as a Christian. And so many times it is reported that, yeah, when I was first a Christian, I, I had these great urges to, and they'll describe some crazy act of love, some crazy act of goodness, some act of giving, some act of praise and worship where they would have exploded toward God for joy. And those believers that they were associated with and the leaders of those, they said, no, 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 quieten down, quieten down. You're just a new believer. You don't go there. And they closed, they closed the door within them of goodness. John, in his epistle, first epistle, talks about closing the heart of compassion. As if, yeah, something rises within me, the Spirit of God within me, goodness in terms of giving compassion. And I say, hold it, hold it, hold it. And I pull back. Go back to being the happy child in Jesus do not listen to what half-dead legalists mumble and moan and dance with Jesus in the goodness that indeed is a festivity and to the eyes of many is craziness. Who wants to go and sit down with Saul of Tarsus? If God wants him in the church, he'll have to make his own way. Now oh, Barnabas, his heart reached out and he refused to close it, but went with the Spirit of God and sat down with the man everyone rejected and saw the grace of God. Oh, yeah. I hope you hear what I'm saying. See, we, 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 we think I've got to do something to add 
to what's in me. You can't add to the finished work of Jesus. You can't add to the Holy Spirit within you. All you can pray for is, God, Father, open my eyes to see the unlimited riches of the glory of the grace of God that is mine in Christ Jesus. And begin to realize we're not living for him. We're not living in a way to earn some blessing. But rather we are living from him. Yeah. So that will result in aggressive behaviors. Behaviors of putting away anything in my life that is inconsistent with who I see myself to be in the face of Jesus Christ. For Jesus, Jesus is my true self in me. He is my identity. That's who I am. Malcolm in Christ, Christ in Malcolm. And so therefore, tasted the goodness of God, says First Peter. Then, you know what I'm talking about. He says, you, you put away from you, you fling it from you, is the exact Greek words. You, like something, uh, a flea-ridden garment. That I ever wore this thing, I fling it from me. And he goes down the list of malice and gossip and lying and maliciousness and bitterness and unforgiveness. I, I know who am I? My true self in Christ is goodness. So I must distance myself, repel away from myself all that I once thought was normal living. But no more. I open instead the gateways of goodness. Yeah. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that hangs upon the boughs of my life, love and joy and peace and goodness, goodness. You know, let me just say this um, very quickly. I'm out of time. But this, many, many times, you, you will realize that this goodness is indeed a heart, mind, imagination matter. Long before it ever gets into words and actions. And, and so, how you think of a person, you, you are actually, and please don't get nuts on me, I... I I'm saying this quickly because I, I, we send the Holy Spirit energy of goodness to people without ever saying a word. You, you can walk into a gathering and love people without saying a word. You are, okay, in today, let me put this. It's as if you are from your spirit in the Holy Spirit. You are sending emails to everybody. You're tweeting everybody with the goodness and the love of God. You know when someone is sending you a mental email of bitterness, don't you? You know when someone is sending you maliciousness. You know when someone would wish you would drop dead. Well... You see, I essentially am spirit, and therefore, before I say words or do anything, my spirit sends out the very energy of divine personal love. And let me just say this also. This goodness, the fruit of the spirit, it will change your face, change your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore his fruit will change the shape of the cells of your body. I, I said it, didn't I, at the beginning. Beauty is not a matter of, of what doing construction work on, on, on your body or, you know, what people do. Um, 
Now, I've seen people, you've seen them. I mean, from if we're just looking at the body as some construction thing, um, I suppose, yeah, they've got the attributes of handsome or beauty. But then you meet someone else and their beauty is an intangible. Their beauty is a light. It's a glory. It's a goodness that radiates through. And you just go away and say, that was a beautiful person. Yeah, because you touched the goodness that is in their heart. So, there it is. Go out into your day realizing there will be a thousand little opportunities of radiating the goodness of God. Every person you meet in a store, every person you meet on the subway, every person who's in the car next to you, the persons you work with and live with, Christ in you, the goodness of God. Adjust to thinking God's thoughts about all those people that walk into your life. And may it be written of us, he was a good man, he was a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Amen. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, his blessing be in you producing in you through his Holy Spirit the very goodness that came to us in Jesus Christ. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.